Greetings, everyone. It is now time for Marked Safe. Tales of your very favorite and most beloved disasters. On Mark Safe, we discuss events and details that some may find disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. Please listen responsibly and stay safe. And now, here with your hosts, Brianne and Melanie, this is Mark Safe. Hello. My Melanie. (laughs) You're killing me. I'm hanging on by a thread. I am so sick right now. (laughs) Oh my God. Part of me thinks you have such a sexy, sick voice. (laughs) Part of me wants to tuck you in with soup. It's mostly that part, but you do have a pretty cute, sick voice. You know, I thought for sure that I, like, I missed this because my kids were sick last week. Yeah. Weren't they puking? Yeah, they were puking. I had to pick them up and they're better everybody's fine and then man it just hit me like a fucking bag of rocks let me tell you and i just i don't know last night was not good (laughs) i'm sorry babe oh it's okay i hate that journey for you yeah it's hard the joys of having five kids and being a stay-at-home mom and uh it's just bound to catch up we had um I was feeling a little crummy yesterday, and then I got another call from the school nurse, which th- I think they have me on speed dial now. I don't know. Um, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, well, I'm feeling crummy. Like, maybe my kids are still sick, but it wound up not being that. There was a playground incident um, with Aria. She, her and another kid ran in head to head with each other. Oh, no. And I guess her nose was like spouting so much blood that it was like freaking the school nurse out really bad yeah it was bad um (laughs) school nurses can't be can't be wimps about about nosebleeds no so i ran in it must have been bad i mean luckily she she's not sick and she can resume normal activities and nothing was broken but i went in and it was it looked like a horror movie for sure. Um, oh, we had to throw all her clothes and shoes away and she was <laughs> drenched in blood. Um, but I think her glasses just kind of hit it the right way on her bridge of her nose. Oh, so, but all good. Uh, thankfully, no calls from the school nurse today. So I've just been sleeping. <laughs> oh, my God. And now you have to record a podcast and you are home alone with five small children. It's going to be Okay. <laughs> I, I just feel that you, as a human, will never get enough credit in life, ever, oh. from anyone. So I'm just glad that it's not my week. Right? I'm thinking yeah. my stars right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad that it is my week, so I'm actually pretty excited about this episode. I have no idea what you're doing. Really? No, you do. I think you're just sick and you forgot. <laughs> <laughs> I have am suffering from major brain frog. Frogsy? Brain fog. <laughs> Brain fog right now. So Ribbits in the old nog. Um, I guess we should jump into the bracket so I don't just completely destroy this episode. <laughs> yes. I Well, not because I'm concerned that you're going to destroy the episode, but just for your well-being and sanity, I think we should get right to it. <laughs> All right. So this week, you've done your research. It's sushi versus the <laughs> ahi poke bowl. Well, I've only done half my research. We didn't end up, we haven't done that yet. The, the Poke Bowl. Um, 
But the sushi was was overall a success. Okay, so I'm really just speculating about the other ones. This is unfortunately just going to kind of come down to whether I liked the sushi or not. Um, Because I don't really have the other thing to compare it to. And I I don't know, it's kind of hard for me to even picture what that would be like. But I bet I might like it. I don't know. Um, So that girlfriend and I went on a sushi date, what seems like a thousand years ago now. I know, I've been dying to find out about this date. Um. So we went to a sushi place and I've never been, but the good news is that she's also kind of a sushi newbie. So she could like, you know, be my little tour guide into it. Um, (laughs) And she, she ordered me like a hibachi chicken thing in case I didn't like the sushi. And I still feel like an asshole because I didn't eat any of it. Oh, wow. Um, Because I just like, I don't know. I I don't eat a whole lot at once. So I ended up eating like two little things of sushi. And then we were like, well, you know, we'll take it back. But then I I forgot about it completely. Um, So yeah, I feel like an asshole about this. Still. I think about that sometimes. Um, so she decided for me and ordered a Las Vegas roll and a spider roll. Mm. Um, and I took a very convenient picture, which was not actually even meant to be for this purpose. I just took it because she's cute. Um, but it has all the descriptions of everything in the picture. So the spider roll is deep fried soft shell crab, cucumber, avocado, seaweed outside, spicy mayo and eel sauce. The Las Vegas roll was um, smoked salmon, cream cheese, avocado, whole something. I don't know. It's kind of blocked. Topped with jalapeno, spicy mayo and sriracha. I think that if I remember correctly, I think I like the spider roll more. And I think I was a big fan of the eel sauce. I love eel sauce. I mean, all in all, pretty good. You know, I'm fucking surprised. Me too. Oh, me too. I don't think that I could ever see myself eating raw sushi. I just, I just don't think that's who I am as a person. (laughs) But I am definitely open to cooked sushi. And so far, my sushi excursion was pretty fucking tasty. It's not like my new favorite food or anything, but I would definitely eat it. (laughs) So yeah, sushi can go forward. Awesome. You got to try the ahi poke bowl, though. It's my favorite. It was um like one of three things that I would eat while I was pregnant. And I would just oh. so good. But the place that has like local to us, um, that had like they had these um poke bowls that it burned down. So now I have I don't have anything local again. I'm just over it. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. But sushi wins. Sushi wins. I mean, it's probably not going to win the whole thing, but <laughs> it it um it pretty easily advances to the next one, and uh, that is somewhat of a feat, as squirrely as I was about it. <laughs> well, now that I have the brain frog, can you tell me <laughs> what you're talking about this week? Ribbit, ribbit. Okay, so you definitely did know this at one point. I believe that this had won a poll in Horrible Ghouls for what to do next, and then it ended up aligning nicely with Spooky Month, which is exorcism. <gasps> oh my gosh! I'm <laughs> Okay, I am I'm here for this. Okay, well, double good news on this, because I believe that if this one at least is well-received, we talk about extending our spooky coverage into November a little bit because we got a late start on it this mm-hmm. month. Um, I would like to make this a two-part oh. because I wanted to do a big compilation. I wanted to have like five or six in here and I didn't run out of time. I ran out of word count. And now I'm glad that I, like it was getting way too big, like way too big. 
And now I'm glad that I cut myself off now that you're sick. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I would love to make this um, a two-parter. I've got two pretty big meaty exorcisms in this, and I will just warn you now, there is going to be more unpacking of Catholicism as a concept than I ever imagined. <laughs> I hope that's okay. No, I think it's, it's great. It's happening either way. Are you ready to get into it? You betcha. All right. So to begin with, I do need to give a big ass disclaimer that I am Catholic. I don't know if you even know that necessarily. Um, specifically, I am the elusive greater American Catholic lesbian, <laughs> now featuring more cognitive dissonance than ever with uh, <laughs> guest stars, tremendous loyalty to the church and deep estrangement from the church. Um. I I was not at all sure how much I was going to talk about this, but ultimately, I don't think there's any way to cover this topic without addressing that. Right. Um, I was raised kind of ambivalently Lutheran. I converted to Catholicism in my 20s, went real hard for it for several years. And then um, the lesbian guidance counselor named Shelley Fitzgerald at the high school that was associated with my church uh, was outed and fired after 15 years because she entered into a civil union with her wife and they'd known all along that she was gay and um, partnered, but I guess that was a bridge too far. So um, that was the whole thing. She sued the archdiocese and ultimately lost. Uh, the case got national attention and our little parish was at the center of it all. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. yeah. Um, I really loved our priest. I was very attached to him. And um, how shall I say it? I have always suspected that we may relate to each other more than um, could be acknowledged in that context. Oh. Always suspected he might be a little bit of an ally, let's just say. Right. Um, and he very abruptly quit slash retired like a few months after Shelley was fired. Um, with a statement that the parish, quote, would benefit from new leadership. And it just got hard. Um, you know, it got hard to say that I disagreed with the church on some topics, but it's been almost 2000 years old and change is slow. And I want to stick around and be part of that change. It, with all this at the forefront, it just got harder to reconcile. Right. Um, you know, the priest who baptized my daughter, baptized me and sat at my bedside while I was in a coma was gone. Um, had my suspicions as to why we'll never know. And, uh, my parish's homophobia had landed in federal court and national news. Didn't feel safe there. So that's sad because um, it's the place that you should feel safe. It, it is. And, you know, God knows there are other people who are much more, um, vulnerable who are in much worse situations with that dilemma than I am, but it still does fucking suck. So, you know, I like I just I have to, you know, super full disclosure in that three or four years after that, like at this point, just to put it out there, like, I believe that the church is the home of a lot of powerful truth and holiness. But I also believe that evil is very drawn to those things. And that corruption is deeply entwined with the institution of the church. Oh, yeah. Um, very deeply. Um, in so many ways that I it would be silly to even list a few because you guys know everybody knows um but it is so deeply entwined at this point that it is probably winning 
And as much as I want to stick around and be a part of that change, and there is a change happening, it is overwhelming and demoralizing. And so I did a sit as an Episcopalian. Then I realized, you know, when I realized that Episcopalianism is basically uh, Catholicism Pride Edition, and my lesbian priest there was absolutely wonderful, but I don't know, there's something missing. Right. Um, that priest was also a Catholic refugee who loved the Episcopal church she led, but she had that same feeling of like alienation and something's missing trying to not be Catholic. So I don't know. I, I guess at this point it's like, if it's like, I guess I feel like if, if the church holds some fundamental truths that are sacred and true, and that has also drawn evil to it, those evil people don't get to stick around calling themselves Catholic and running me out of town to go be Episcopal or Methodist or Unitarian, because then they win. I mean, you see that in so many religions. I mean, yeah. some of the worst Christians ever mm-hmm. are um, the ones. Yeah. You, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I know exactly what you're saying, and I'm sure a lot of people listening do. It's too. been it's I been mean, hard for for us. Um, you know, my husband he actually comes from a Mormon background. I grew up Southern Baptist, which, ugh. um, <laughs> and um, you know, we've all we've had. You know, neither one of us are attached to um any organized religion or churches um for saying. You know, we, we struggle with that as parents, you know, do we want to get our kids involved in the church, but we're, we're so far removed. It's at this point, we're just going to do it our way, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, that is another thing that was a big factor is it's like, well, what if, I mean, not even what if, like I was going to say, what if Adelaide is, you know, not cishet, but I mean, even if she is, you know, it's so hard to be like, no, listen, like, I believe this, but only kind of, and you should only listen to these parts. Like, that's hard as an adult. It's very hard to conceptualize that for a kid. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe the assholes are winning anyway, um, but they can't really stop me from calling myself Catholic and engaging with the church. So I am a uh, spiteful, sad, defiant, stubborn, critical, semi-practicing Catholic. <laughs> until you start I your cult. Cont- <laughs> yes, until I start my cult, which any minute now. Um, not even any day, like it could be tonight, I don't know. <laughs> um, it is something that I continue to wrestle with on a daily basis. Um, I know that was a long lead-in, but I feel like this episode would have one tone if it was written by like a complete non-Catholic or an atheist. I feel like it would have another tone completely if it was written by someone who fully embraces all of the church's views. And it is neither. It is written by someone who thinks that the church holds some things that are deeply gritty and real and transcendent, but I have not found those elsewhere after decades of looking, but... I think there's some bad shit attracted to those things, and it has infiltrated every level of leadership until it is almost impossible to differentiate it from the church itself. Right. So, it sucks, is what I'm saying. The Catholic Church, there's going to be a couple little Catholic lessons in here. I think it's relevant. Hopefully, you will share my opinion. I don't know. Well, I'm not Catholic. I don't know much about the whatever you... Besides what's on the surface, you know what I mean? Okay, and I love yeah. a fucking lesson, so school okay. me, please. Excellent. So we're going to have some um, Catholic lesson sidebars, and um, if there is something about Catholic Church or Catholic teaching or something that you don't understand that I'm not getting into, feel free to ask. 
The Catholic Church recognizes seven sacraments. Baptism, Confirmation, Eucharist, which is Receiving Communion, Penance, which is Confession, Anointing of the Sick, Matrimony, and Holy Orders, which is Becoming Ordained. I have personally participated in six of them, and I will never complete my bingo card unless I become a nun, and I'm fairly sure they don't want me. So, I think that ship has sailed. Uh, These are considered things that were created by Jesus himself and given to us as ways to directly attain God's grace. They are considered, you know, the sacraments are considered permanent, unchangeable, flawless, uniform, meaning, and this is important, that no matter how shitty of a person the priest performing them may be, they are considered so sanctified that God's divinity will step in with whatever good stuff the priest is lacking. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. At all? Okay. Yeah. The priest is just a vessel for something way bigger. Now, this is important. Sacramentals versus sacraments. Sacramentals, despite the similar name, mean something very different. They come from the church, not, you know, theoretically Jesus himself. And at least in my opinion, there is a tremendous case to be made that Catholics make up entirely too many rules, and it can end up separating us from the actual point of it all. Um, but sacramentals, they can shift depending on the time and place. You know, they can evolve over time. They're not from Jesus. They're from the church. Um, they might not work. They're worth a try. But importantly, the thing where a shitty priest being part of the equation and God's divinity automatically being present to make up for any of their personal shortcomings does not apply. If the priest is a fucked up person participating for fucked up reasons, it's a problem because their character and state of mind kind of matter and affect the outcome with the sacramental, right. not with the sacrament. Um, basically think of sacraments like those student driver cards where the passenger like the, you know, the teacher also has full controls, like you're trying to do it. But if there's a deficit in you, someone without that deficit will fill in the blanks no matter what. Uh, Think of sacramentals as just driving a car, you're trying to go somewhere you might get there. But if you are drunk or tired or bad at driving or an aspiring murderer, I mean, you're going to end up somewhere. Right. So critically, exorcisms are a sacramental. Hmm. Hmm. Probably, you know. I'm actually ideally. thoroughly enjoying this right now. <laughs> like I said, my my knowledge of the Catholic Church is is very small. It's it's included in like getting drunk at the Catholic picnics. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. Well, I am glad to hear that because I um, really really enjoyed researching this one. I enjoyed researching this one more than almost any episode I've ever done, and I really enjoyed delving into the things and trying to figure out what is relevant to understanding this. And there are some things that are going to, um, some framework that's going to matter a little bit more for part two, because um, I don't, I don't think we really get into any bad priests in this one necessarily, but I'm pretty sure we might next week. Okay. Um, but you know, in terms of the fact that it's a sacramental kind of relevant, And, you know, I spent this whole research period of this episode just being like, is this too much? Like, am I getting too far into Catholic bullshit right now? I don't know. I don't know. So, the but I I felt that way about saturation diving. And I think people actually. Oh, it's one of my favorites. So, yeah, it was one of my favorites, too. So, I feel like I'm just going to go with what I want to tell you about and hope that that uh, translates. So. The Catholic Church identifies a few things as signs of demonic possession, and you've probably heard of most, if not all of them, from movies, basically. 
Um, things like conversational fluency in languages unknown to the person, superhuman strength, uh, knowing things that they could not know, often highly personal information about priests brought in to evaluate them, aversion uh, to holy objects, gratuitous blasphemy, which I don't think is like cussing a lot. I think it's more shit like the crucifix scene in The Exorcist. Yeah. Um, just like really egregious stuff. Like, what the fuck? Um, if you suspect that somebody might need an exorcism, whether it is you or someone else, there's a process to go through. And I will say that for the most part, no one is more skeptical that you might be possessed than the Catholic Church. Um, as we probably all do know from horror movies, there are various forms and stages of demonic possession, including obsession, oppression, infestation, subjugation, and whole ass possession. The distinctions there aren't super relevant to this episode. If it becomes relevant in the next episode, I will circle back a little bit more into what each of those means. Um, some of them are like a little bit more minor. Some of them like possession is just like a whole, like, you know, the demon has the wheel, full stop. Um, infestation, if I remember correctly, is more about places than people. But none of that's super relevant to this one. I just wanted to skim over it. If it's relevant next week, we'll get into it. Um, so somebody who thinks that they need this kind of help would reach out to really any church official who would then put them in touch with the archdiocese and their official exorcist for their region who would come out and assess the situation. The New Catholic Encyclopedia is quoted as saying, quote, ecclesiastical authorities are reluctant to admit diabolical possession in most cases because many can be explained by physical or mental illness alone. Therefore, medical and psychological examinations are necessary before the performance of major exorcism. The standard that must be met is that of moral certitude. For an exorcist to be morally certain or beyond reasonable doubt that he is dealing with a genuine case of demonic possession, there must be no other reasonable explanation for the phenomenon in question. And another thing that I... I don't think we super need to get into with this one. There are major possessions and minor or um, major exorcisms and minor exorcisms. If I remember correctly, minor ones are more, um, you know what? I'm not going to talk out my ass about that. Actually. I'm not, I don't recall the difference, but everything that we're talking about is definitely in the uh, major exorcism category. (laughs) Obviously there are a multitude of ways for this to go horribly fucking wrong. Um, even if you believe every single thing that the church says about exorcism, it is a sacramental. So the priest himself is highly fallible, and that is a factor. Even if the entire concept is all true, and the priest is as close to perfect as a human could realistically be, then best case scenario, you're still dealing with a damn demon. Right? That can only go so well. Right. Um, but I mean, then there are the countless complications, like the fact that people struggling with mental illness will inevitably end up being incorrectly assessed sometimes. I mean, a worst case scenario, it's all bullshit and truly unwell people are wasting time and missing out on appropriate treatment while their loved ones are fucking around thinking it's a demon. Best case scenario, that is definitely happening sometimes. Like there's no way around the fact that that happens. I don't have any, thank God, first-hand experience with exorcism, but I will say that from my own immersion in the church, my impression has always been that they do seem to sincerely believe that almost every request they get has nothing to do with demons, and they are genuinely motivated to disprove rather than sensationalize them, usually. A lot of times it does seem, I mean, you, you can't know with the church. They they will do some misdirection bullshit a lot. Right. Um, so you can't really know, but it, it has seemed to me, and I 
haven't really had a reason to be skeptical of this so far that they kind of try to downplay them a lot because, you know, you get people all riled up and then they're just going to be inundated with requests for assessments. And I mean, there's just, there's, I don't know, like a hundred, maybe 200 priests who do this in the United States, if that. That still um, so, seems know, like you, a lot. It it does. And there, there was something with a new course that they recently made and like there were some, the number jumped. Um, I didn't really a new get course? into that. So it's like a full on, you like take a class? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, it's weird. But, you know, I mean, that's not really a lot. And if you've got everybody who had some lights flicker at night after they watched a scary movie and they get themselves spooked out and they're trying to reach out to the church and say, oh, my God, I think we need an exorcism or everybody with a, you know, 14 year old daughter who's showing her ass. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, think about Catch Me Outside, girl, you know? Yeah. Um, Who, by the way, is fucking killing it these days. I know. Um, I have seen that. That's incredible. I agree. I love it. Love that journey for her. So generally speaking, it does seem to me that they aren't really like, oh, I bet it is a demon. Let's go look at it. Like, usually they don't really, they don't think it is. And they really don't want a lot of publicity at all. So, I mean, I do think that's generally a good faith effort. But, you know, it's it's still human discernment involved. And it will unequivocally get fucked up. So let's talk about some exorcisms that have happened. Uh, Like I said, I wanted to do a whole bunch of these. I ended up with two big ones and then my word count was just getting out of fucking hand. So I was like, no, we're going to be like (laughs) 6,000 word count, which is not what we want if I add one more. Um, And I will say in researching this, I found a truly fucking upsetting number of stories of mothers becoming convinced that their babies and children are possessed, which I would speculate that postpartum psychosis is probably a factor a lot of the time and performing quote unquote exorcisms on there that suffice it to say, do not end well. Oh, and the babies. Uh Uh-huh. Don't, don't. I honestly, I wouldn't even Google anything like bad exorcism stories or real exorcisms gone wrong or something like don't do it because I think this is the only episode I've ever researched where I've had to regularly take breaks due to content I wasn't even covering. Right. Just because the headlines of those stories will fuck you up. It is fucking dark. Um, And if you have any intolerance for stories about nightmare shit with little kids, just don't. Just don't. Just stay tuned for the next week. We're going to cover some bad shit that does not involve probably postpartum psychosis and newborns. You don't want to know. Trust me. I will not be covering any of those stories now or ever. Not that these aren't horrific because they are. Um, I believe both of these also involve minors and bad shit, but I have avoided stories about little kids and I have kept the focus of this episode to exorcisms performed by the church, not just people getting some weird shit in their head yeah. and being like, I'm going to do an exorcism. All willy nilly. Yeah, no, that, that, I mean, that's just honestly most of the time it is murder and psychosis is what that is. This is the Catholic process for exorcisms. And that is the um, theme of this one. And it will be the theme of next one. So the first one that we've got, Clara was born in South Africa in 1890 and baptized Catholic in infancy. She was an orphan and was sexually assaulted by a woman at the age of seven. I don't know any details about what happened other than I saw somewhere that the woman claimed to be a magician, which is um, gross. 
just gross, but also like in terms of kind of how the story ends, like a little unsettling. Um, I don't know. So she went to a Catholic school and despite, you know, that sexual assault and loss of her parents, she had as close to a normal childhood as you could hope and definitely overall normal behavior until she turned 16. In 1906, she went to confession and told her priest that she had made a pact with the devil. In confession, she passed a piece of paper to the priest with the written pact on it. Um, The details of what exactly she had made a pact about were not findable to me. But at the very least, she did pick up some new supernatural talents out of the deal that might raise some eyebrows with anyone informed about possession including. Uh, Despite having spent all of her life in South Africa and having no exceptional foreign language education, she turned out to understand French, German, Norwegian, Polish, and multiple other languages. Holy fuck, at 16? Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Some accounts say all other languages, but I'm not sure about the veracity of that. (laughs) She knew, quote, the most intimate secrets and transgressions of people with whom she had no contact. And to be clear, I'm not saying I want to be possessed, but that does sound like a straight shot to the best he possession. <laughs> so if I Could do you imagine, up, oh my god, no! <laughs> oh my gosh! If I do ever end up making a pact with the devil, you can pretty safely assume that was the part that got me. <laughs> um, apparently, some of it was details that she just couldn't know, like not anything too juicy, just like addresses that a priest had visited when she, you know, it was like a whole other country. She couldn't see that, but. If she felt mocked, she would drop a bomb in the form of an actual bad one to embarrass the priest, like something along the lines of the shit I want you to reveal at my funeral. I can't wait. <laughs> that sounded terrible. Hey, no. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's the brain frog. I'm sorry. <laughs> the brain frog. I love you. Oh, my God. Um. She, quote, corrected priests in their sermons, which is something that I would just love to know more about. Like, were they fucking up and she was just being contrary and they didn't like it? Or did she seem to have, like, some kind of insight into the accuracy of what they were teaching that, like, uh, she shouldn't know, no one should know, but she, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, if you are with someone and they're flipping through the Bible and they're like, well, that part's not true. What do you know, ma'am? You know? I don't know which it was that information could not be found. Um, she was agitated by holy objects and suddenly had the strength to throw adult nuns across the room, which, you know, I don't know. I mean, that could go either way. I could probably throw a nun across the room if I really needed to. <laughs> I don't know. I guess it depends on the nun, but maybe. <laughs> picture. Just a bunch of nuns <laughs> flying across the room. Uh, Claire said that holy water burned her skin. Her voice changed into something no longer human and possibly no longer even animal. A nun who observed her wrote, quote, no animal had ever made such sounds. Neither the lions of East Africa nor the angry bulls. At times, it sounded like a veritable herd of wild beasts orchestrated by Satan had formed a hellish choir. Yikes. Which is terrifying. And also what a flair for language. Yes, sister. Wow. Um, sometimes she was reported to have made sounds more closely imitating actual animals, like barking like a dog and grunting like a pig. Sometimes two different voices seemed to be coming from her and engaging in a conversation with one another. She ripped her own clothes and cried out for help. 
perhaps most alarmingly, since everything else could maybe have a logical explanation, unlikely as it may be, uh, Clara was reported by multiple witnesses to have levitated five feet in the air. Yeah, I don't like that. I don't like that at all. No, no. More than once, um, both vertically and horizontally. And, you know, I... I saw something that said that sometimes it was vertical and sometimes it was horizontal. And I was like, what an odd thing to emphasize. And then I thought about it. And it's like, you know, if you were pulling some kind of weird hoax, what are the odds that you would figure out how to somehow pull that off two different ways? Right. You know, I feel like if you figured out some type of way that could actually convince people you were levitating, it would have to be a whole different technique to do it, you know, the other direction, wouldn't it? Probably. I would assume so. I would think. I mean... I don't know. I've never tried to fucking. You need levitate, someone but. like the nuns. Just need like a hula hoop to like put. <laughs> did they make hula hoops back then? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But when were hula hoops invented? Definitely sounds like some shit that I would Google for this podcast <laughs> for just the dumbest fucking. I, ha- I have to look it up now. Hold on. Okay. Well, the hula hoop craze was in 1958. Well, but did it get crazy as soon as they got invented? That's the real question here. Hula hoop patented. Yeah. Uh, it was first marketed by Whammo in 1958. All right. Well, no wonder they could not confirm because there were no hula hoops. Everyone needs to take a hula hoop to an exorcism from here on out. <laughs> <laughs> the next exorcism you get invited to help the sisters out or the priest or whoever you are assisting and go ahead and grab a hula hoop they, at the dollar they store. They come in like a variety of colors. Choose your mm-hmm. own. Walmart has them. Five Below usually has them. So now um, that is the hot new exorcism accessory. <laughs> so some people said that when she was levitating, her body moved like a snake. And that she sometimes slithered along the ground like she had no bones. Yeah, I don't like that either. Taking on a disturbing plasticity. She was able to run up a six-foot wall, which, to be fair, I do feel like I could probably find some kid on TikTok right now who can do yeah, that. Yeah, that's parkour. Be, yeah, I would be more impressed by that if she could, like, walk up it. But, <laughs> um as is often the case in these stories, uh, Clara was upset about the situation. You know, she started out, I believe, a pretty devout Catholic, and now, you know, it's all fucked up, and she was still herself enough to be bothered. She told her priest in confession, quote, I am lost. I have confessed and taken communion under false pretenses. I must hang myself. Satan is calling me. <sighs> yeah. I assume that when she talks about false pretenses, she must be referring to the concept of being in a state of grace. Do you know anything about that as far as the Eucharist goes? No, I don't. Okay. So, the church distinguishes between venial and mortal sins, which is basically trivial shit and major shit. And the major shit, like, kind of the criteria for being major shit is that it consciously and intentionally damages our relationship with God. And this right here for me is a perfect encapsulation of my own relationship with the church. We're about to get way too deep here. It's fine. (laughs) Like officially speaking, there are things that I have done and regularly do and will continue to do that. I am not even remotely sorry for, um, including premarital sex and homosexuality that are officially speaking mortal sins. Um, But I find the venial versus mortal sin concept very useful, but I also believe that God gave me the gifts of discernment and moral reasoning 
And I mean, I've done things that would officially be considered venial that I know that for me personally did constitute a turning away from God, like being so up my phone's ass that I say, you know, numb and distracted and chronically miss the opportunity to connect with something bigger. Right. Um, but then, you know, skip ahead a couple times, Aunt Veda. Um, I have had sex, homosexual and not, married and not, that I felt disrespected and cheapened my sacred humanity. Right. And I've had sex, homosexual and not, married and not, that didn't. And I think it is within my capabilities as a human with moral reasoning to distinguish the difference. So, for me, if I've done something that I know damn well has hurt my relationship with God, I'll confess it. And if I haven't, I won't. Um, I, I... It's considered very serious to receive the sacrament of communion when you aren't in a state of grace, meaning that there is a mortal sin that you haven't confessed and fixed. So there you have that. The framework of the church and the idea that some actions actually damage your closeness with God, and those are the serious ones, and then addressing them as kind of an emergency, very meaningful to me personally. Um, Where they lose me is dismissing individual's own moral discernment on what does and doesn't cause that damage. Okay, but, but so she said she wanted to hang herself, though. I mean, isn't that yeah, counterproductive? Yeah. And I mean, that, and it, it's interesting because, you know, she's so concerned with this. But I mean, that is a pretty fucking big problem in the church. Right. Is, you know, suicide, which I've got my own issues with that as well. But, you know, it does seem. Hmm, what's the word? Desperate. Yeah, desperate, definitely desperate. Um, she was clearly in a very bad place, at the very least, um, whether it was demons or trauma or mental health or who knows what. Um, so I am starting you light with this first story because it does have a semi or at least temporarily happy ending. Um, two priests were brought in to perform an exorcism in 1906. The process took two days in which Clara tried to strangle one of the priests with his own vestments, but ultimately it was declared a success and all of Clara's bizarre behavior stopped, leaving her feeling guilty about what had happened, but otherwise normal. Right. Um, six years later, she died at the age of 22 from heart failure. And I was kind of intrigued by this for a minute because like, if hypothetically the physical stuff was real, like, you know, how, the stuff we see in movies with heads turning around and bones crunching and all this shit happening. And I don't know. I don't know. But like, you know, the snake stuff that went on with her, like, surely that does have to strain somebody's body. Oh, I'm sure. You know, I mean, maybe something supernatural could push your body to these things that wouldn't otherwise be possible, but it's still your fucking body. Like, it's got to... It's It's got to do some damage, you would think. Right. But um, more likely, I would bet that for her, it was probably tuberculosis. Uh, 1912 was in the peak of the outbreak in South Africa, and the illness can often lead to heart failure. So that is probably that for Clara. But she um, had so many of the classic, you know, signs and symptoms of possession that I just kind of wanted to cover her story as just sort of a template for what this looks like. So you can see everything, everything else that diverges from it. So our second story in this one, I I have no idea if it's Anna or Anna. So we're just going to say Anna. Anna was born eight years before Clara, over 8,000 miles away from where Clara was born. Anna was in Milwaukee in 1882, but most of the story that landed her here didn't start until years after our first story, Clara had died of heart failure. 
Anna was raised Catholic. Uh, things got weird for her in 1896 when Anna was 14 years old and found herself bothered by holy objects, including the church itself and even saying God's name. Um, she couldn't walk into the church. She also had, quote, disturbed thoughts and engaged in, quote, unspeakable sexual acts. And I would truly love more information on both of these things <laughs> because it wasn't in, you know, in 1896, that could be literally anything. Yeah, it could be kissing. It, yeah, it, it could be masturbation. Yeah. Um, or it could be actual bad shit. I don't know. Um as with Clara, there were some allegations of possible sexual abuse, which I have noticed in a lot of stories that I didn't cover for whatever reason. Um, even just, you know, these stories that just maybe there wasn't enough or something. Um, it's common. And, you know, that there's, there's a couple different routes that you could go with that. Um, obviously, an obvious one that you would have to rule out is just trauma. And, you know, mental health stuff that could be a result of that trauma. Um, and that this could be a way that could manifest. But then, you know, I mean, you do also, there, there are some concepts that, you know, that kind of trauma and that kind of abuse can kind of make you more vulnerable to actual demonic activity. I don't know. You know, we'll never know, but it is a pretty common theme that a lot of people who end up experiencing this have that in their history. Um, in Anna's case, it was unfortunately at the hands of her father. So her issues with holy objects and things apparently must have gone on for 16 years because it wasn't until 1912 that a priest was brought in for an exorcism, um, which seemed to be a success. Anna lived 16 more years, seemingly mostly peacefully. Uh, there's a lot of town speculation that the abuse by her father is what had caused the possession and possibly this aunt named Mina, who was maybe a witch, also her dad's mistress. It was a whole thing. Um, I, I don't know. I think that the stigma of all of that was rough for her, but her symptoms, as far as I can find, were resolved during those, those you know, years. years. Yeah. Um, or at least they were until those 16 years had passed and her troubles resurfaced. And despite having attended church and received sacraments for years after her first exorcism without issue, she suddenly found that she couldn't go again in 1928 at the age of 46. Uh, even just praying at home had the same effect on her. She couldn't do it. It was extremely um, uncomfortable. I, don't know. I wonder if that's a, that's a thing. Like, you get demonic possession and so... If you're cured, you're still more susceptible to get it again? Maybe. Like a cold? I, yes, actually. I believe that that does kind of come into play with this one. Um, we will get to that, though. So, like Clara, Anna was very upset about what was going on. And for the second time in her life, she sought help from the church to stop what had now escalated to hearing demonic voices telling her to, quote, commit terrible acts, which once again, I would love to know what they were. Give me the details, <laughs> you freaking old stories. They never do. The same priest was brought back again to exercise the demon or demons possessing Anna. And it was his opinion that the OG demon had brought back seven demon buddies, which this... I don't really know specifically why seven. Did but you I say know. OG demon? 
I did. You mean OJ demon. The OJ demon. My bad. You're right. I, just did. I, love you. I still can't believe I did that. <laughs> I love you though. Um apparently there's something in the Bible to that effect. Jesus exercised seven demons from somebody. I don't know. I'm not overly familiar with that story, but the, you know, one came back and it brought some buddies thing is, I guess, a thing. Um, so the priest knew that eight demons were bound to be worse than one. So he needed a plan and he didn't want Anna to have to deal with the Gladys Kravitzes of the community. So he made a plan to take her to a convent seven hours away in Iowa for the exorcism. He had 19 successful exorcisms under his belt, so he was, in the immortal words of Daddy Pig, if you know, you know, a bit of an expert. (laughs) (laughs) She arrived at the convent with the priests on August 17th. Uh, That, and maybe not date, but that month is kind of relevant, so bookmark that in your head. And immediately after she arrived and the exorcism began, her behavior was just going on down the checklist of demonic red flags. Such as fluency in unknown languages. Check. She spoke in multiple languages that she had never even heard spoken. And to me, expressive fluency is a whole different story than receptive fluency as far as this goes. Um, A lot of languages have similar root words, you know, between that and context. I could potentially see a very clever person bullshitting their way through understanding an unknown language, but speaking it. Okay, so here's my question on this. So. The person also has to recognize that the that whoever's possessed is multilingual. So they also have to speak several languages too, right? Like how do they know? You know that that is a really fucking interesting point because I mean I do feel like I could hear a language and be like, yeah, I recognize that as Spanish, even if I don't know what the fuck is being said, or I recognize that as French, even if I don't know what the fuck is being said, but I mean, how would it's you know? possible that you wouldn't know if it was being used correctly. Right? But I don't know. Hmm. That's interesting. That's a really, really interesting point. And I I mean, I feel like in the modern age, you know, there's a million ways. But I mean, in Google the Translate age, for exorcisms, yeah. you know? But <laughs> <laughs> we got hula hoops. We got Google Translate. We are ready to go. Yes, we're ready. Um. I do think, and I will touch on this later, that it would be so much easier to identify fake this now. Well, I feel like it would be so much easier to to have this be a hoax now, right? Um, for so many reasons, but we'll get into that. Um, <laughs> so I don't know. Like, I feel like. I remember um, when my ex-husband was doing Duolingo for a while, like I would look over his shoulder while he was doing it. And I'm like, I don't fucking know any of this. But, you know, in the multiple choice ones, I could usually figure it out. Um, And maybe, you know, I I do think that someone with who's relatively well-read, very smart, very convincing could probably uh, bullshit their way through understanding what's being said. But, I mean, if you asked me to just – tell you something, you know, repeat a sentence only in Spanish, I couldn't if my life depended on it. Uh, So I do think that in my head, expressive fluency and receptive fluency in terms of this and the, um, you know, veracity of it are very, very different. So there were also sounds which were described as, quote, inhuman howls and, quote, a guttural growl capable of 
creating impossible sounds. Superhuman strength, check. Anna was restrained to her bed when the process began, and the priest had recruited the strongest nuns to be on hand. And I am just picturing a whole bunch of (laughs) Louises from Encanto all jacked up under their habits. (laughs) Like, this story has already been made into a movie, but I do kind of want an even grittier reboot with a lesbian subplot. And yeah, I probably should go to confession for that, I guess. (laughs) Um. One article in Times phrased it in just the most, come on, you know what you're doing here way possible, which was, quote, strong-armed nuns bound her, placed her upon a bed. And I'm like, okay, calm down, Times. Yeah. <laughs> strong-armed nuns bound her. Really? <laughs> um, Maybe I am horrible. I don't know. Um, or I don't it know sounds like a good t- time. Okay. I'm, does it sound, please tell me that sounds dirty to it you. sounds dirty. <laughs> Okay, thank God. Um, I don't. Did, did I talk about the haunted house that we went to on the show? I don't think I did. No. Um, we went to a haunted house. That girlfriend and I uh, last-ish week. I don't know. And a lot of it had a Catholic theme, which um, was interesting. I don't know. Honestly, it it took away from the scariness for me, but I didn't really want to be like scared, scared. So that was fine with me. Like I'm, you know, I'm going through. I'm like that is very accurate. Like those are are like realistic vestments on the um, undead archbishop. And, uh, you know, I'm whispering, I'm like, I've met the real archbishop. (laughs) uh, So, but yeah, then we, we get to this room and um, there's like a nun and she's like, you've been very naughty. And depending on what you do, I would have fucking lost it. You're either going to get choked or flogged. And I'm like, (laughs) ma'am. Yeah. I would have lost it. Uh, I could not I do that with a straight face. I didn't. I didn't. I was giggling almost the whole fucking time. <laughs> um, but I'm just like, wow. Okay, I didn't. I did not expect this to be so dirty. <laughs> and um, I've been noticing all kinds of things in this research with strong-armed nuns binding people to the bed, and I'm like, oh my god. Um. Anyway. All the jacked up nuns in the world were no match for Anna and her demon entourage. She appeared to fall asleep when the prayers began, but when the exorcism itself began, she burst out of the restraints, tying her to the bed. And now I've heard that that's not always that hard to do. So I guess it depends on what kind of rigor skills this crowd of Catholics have. I don't know. And flung herself onto the wall above the doorway, staying like, on it, like standing on the no, wall, sort of n- cat, cat-like grip or something, and I'm like, cats don't stand in the wall. <laughs> what the fuck? Like balance or something? Sure, but like, can we talk about frogs, spiders, mountain goats? Cats don't stand on the wall. Right. Not a thing. Um, but you know, neither do people. But Anna did, so I don't know. Maybe whoever made that analogy has been dealing with some possessed cat. <laughs> I don't know. So. She was also reported to have levitated. Didn't find a whole lot of details on just how How high, Anna. How high. How how, how high. Were you vertical? Were you horizontal? I don't know. Um, Knowing things that she couldn't know, check. She knew the specific sins of everyone in the room. And again, old-timey reporting, please don't withhold the tea. What the fuck did they do? Yeah. Tell me. Uh, aversion to holy objects, check. She wouldn't eat if the food had been blessed, but maybe she would see it being blessed and you'll play it up accordingly, possibly. Um, 
maybe, but she also reacted to holy water differently than regular water, even without knowing which was which. And she would hiss when the holy water was near her. And she reacted when priests concealed crosses or relics under their robes when she couldn't see them at all. Uh. Yeah, no bueno. She foamed at the mouth when she heard Latin blessings. Gratuitous blasphemy, check. According to an article in the lineup, quote, even as she slept, she muttered in unsettling tongues, blaspheming God and verbally assaulting anyone in the room. I guess, like, to me, you really, I feel like you really do have to wonder about multiple people in multiple places experiencing the same specific signs of possession when it's not like they were all watching The Exorcist. Right. Or The Exorcist and mimicking what they saw, you know? Like, I don't know how commonly this would have been talked about in these communities or what kind of access people would have had to religious texts that might describe it. It just, it feels improbable to me that these people were independently coming across information that couldn't have been dispersed that easily in this era. And they happened to be temperamentally disposed to faking a possession. And they had the skills and creativity to fake it convincingly and in a way that would be so similar to the others. That's, that's, I don't know about that. You know, like there are definitely ways that you could maybe fake things like levitation or language fluency. I've heard, you know, a lot of somewhat convincing possession stories that were kind of debunked that did have those things. And they, you know, they ended up finding some very, very creative ways. Um, that I, I, oh, there was some movie, was it Amityville? No, not Amityville. I don't know. There was some movie about a bunch of little girls and like they had a single mom and there was like a dresser block and a door and stuff. And it was based on a true story. And I think it had Ed Lorraine Warren in the movie version. And uh, maybe it was The Conjuring. But I think that was based on a true story. And when they investigated that stuff, and I'm just, um, this is entirely off script here. I don't, I could be full of shit. This is just, I think I remember this. I feel like there was a lot of stuff with like levitation. And then when they really looked into it, it turned out that they had actually, it, it probably was a hoax um, or, you know, in some similar ones. So, I mean, there's, there's clearly some kind of way. They right. Can. But I feel like it would take quite a bit of craftiness to pull off every aspect of it convincingly. You know, maybe you could master faking one or two of these things, but multiple people finding this information and having the motivation and ability to fake it convincingly people that don't know each other probably didn't have access to this information. I don't know, man, that it's sus to me. I, I mean, it is. So the first exorcism for Anna in August went on for days, but it was not a success. And they, I don't know, that also sometimes kind of gives the whole concept a little bit more credibility to me because sometimes, you know, it's like two days and they're like, and it worked. Right. And that was that. And then other times not like, and it just seems like if they had a, an angle that they wanted the public to believe like that it, you know, it's super effective. We're super good at, at exercising demons come to Acme exorcism and <laughs> we will fix you. Then there would be this narrative of it being super easy. But then if they wanted this narrative, this like long protracted, you know, good versus evil battle, then it's like not, but it's both, you know, there's, there's definitely both. And for me, that, that makes me wonder more. So they waited almost a month before beginning another week long attempt in September, um, which was also unsuccessful. And then three months before a third attempt in December. And I so badly, I don't know why, but I really want to know why, why the big gaps, like, are there, 
some kind of consumable supplies that they need to restock or something? Like, I, I feel like that sounds like I'm being funny, but I'm not, that's not a joke. Like, is there something yeah. that gets used that they have to get more of or something? Is it just like a trauma thing? They need the rest. It just seems like, I guess, but it just seems like it would be so stressful for the person and the, you know, the church officials and everything to just be like, yeah, she's chilling in bed possessed for three months. Like what? Go do something, you know? <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea what the reasoning is for that. I'm I'm not even remotely trying to speculate that the intentions are good, bad, neutral. I have no fucking clue. I'm just curious. Yeah, that's about bizarre. It. Yeah, I, I've definitely seen that many times in these stories, so I think it's common, but I've never really found anything that asks or explains why, and I would love to know. So if anyone out there we we have the most random and amazing and extremely cool assortment of um expertise in the horrible ghouls community so if anybody happens to have some expertise in this because every time we do some random ass shit someone's like oh actually um i'm a phd in this topic and i am the world's foremost expert and i listen to your podcast i'm like oh no don't don't we're stupid (laughs) it's like excuse me ma'am can you explain these gaps in your exorcism resume (laughs) that's what we need okay so if anybody out there knows anything about this i I just want to know. I don't know why this question bothers me so much. I just want to know. Um, Anna did not do well over those months. Maybe that was why. Maybe she needed to be stronger for it. But on the other hand, like, you know, she's getting worse. So I don't know. I just want to know. She, she was not thriving. She vomited all the time. And it was weird vomit with, quote, tobacco leaves and other debris in it. Oh, I wow. Have, I have questions about what the fuck they mean by debris. And the volume of the vomit in no possible way matched up with the piddly amounts of food she was taking in at all. Uh, in fact, it seemed like it was more vomit than it should even be physically possible for a human body to hold at once. And eventually, that same phenomenon began with her urine and feces. The volume just didn't make sense at all. It was just, it was more than her body should have been able to produce or even hold. Wow. But there it was, you know, and I mean, and then even if she was eating normally, and then we're getting into the fact that she's barely eating. So she's probably had a couple periods in this time, too. I wonder, I'm curious about that, too, not to be all nosy about her cycle, but. Well, yeah. If all the other stuff's going crazy, like... Yeah. Yeah. I would be very curious about that, too. So, everything about Anna changed, like, physically. Her head seemed to gradually, quote, swell and elongate until her face was not even recognizable anymore, with her lips swollen, quote, to the size of hands. She became skeletally thin, but bizarrely, her body seemed to take on increased density, uh, bending the bars of the iron bed she was in with her abdomen becoming unhumanly hard. So even as she's getting a little, somehow she is breaking the bars on her bed just with the weight of her, even though she is emaciated. Yeah, what the fuck? So the lineup writes about a time when a prayer to Mary the Immaculate Conception was recited and, quote, her body even expanded to twice its normal size, causing the sisters in the room to wince in fear of the woman bursting. Oh, like a stretching? I guess, like a bloating, like a, I think like a an, kind of an all at once swelling thing. Um, and I mean, if that's true, like that is some true genuine horror, like really. 
that is unsettling as fuck to read or hear almost a century later, but like really take a moment to imagine being in that room and genuinely not knowing what you might be about to see. Like you are looking at this thing that does not line up with how human bodies work. That is clearly uh, supernatural, or at least in your head, it's clearly supernatural. And I guess whether it was or not at one point I was like, maybe she was in kidney failure and she was retaining water because I was married to a dialysis nurse. And that's how I think about this. (laughs) But that does not explain enough at all. Um, definitely not. But I guess even they say this prayer, all of a sudden she bloats up to twice her size. And I mean, just imagine you, you don't know what the fuck's going to happen. Like normally you are operating within, you know, if you're in medicine or something, you're operating within the bounds of what human bodies can do, which is kind of bad enough as it is, but anything could happen at this point. You're watching this woman not knowing she's about to fucking explode. And that is, holy shit. (laughs) Holy shit. So some of the sisters actually asked to be transferred to other convents. They were so disturbed. Some of the people around were so sure of Anna's impending death that they wanted her last rites to be delivered, but the priest in charge was confident that she would survive. And I I will make a little note that this is an extremely famous priest who you may have talked about him in an episode before, but he, he has definitely um, became an extremely well-known priest and very much kind of, I don't want to say popularized, but definitely brought to public attention the concept of exorcisms. And he was, you know, a bit of a celebrity in his own right. A lot has been said about him. A lot has been written about him. And I really, really prefer to keep things victim focused. Not that he's the perpetrator by any means, but I just, I didn't, you know, these, these are young girls sometimes and women who experience these horrendous things, whatever the fuck it is, it's horrendous. And, you know, I just, I wanted to keep the focus on them. So, you know, if you dig into this and you're like, oh, it's that priest, you didn't even talk about that. Yeah, I know it was on purpose. We we don't need a fanboy over a priest. No, no, we don't. And I don't know why, like, I feel like I'm being kind of an asshole to the priest and I have no reason to think that there's anything bad about him. I just didn't want to get into a whole, whole thing about him. Um, but you know, there, there's a lot of interesting stuff about him. If you want to Google some of this stuff and there are links, obviously, as always in the show notes. So Anna was sometimes lucid. If they pushed through her aversion to the holy object, sometimes they would seem to bring her around after a while. You know, you, you would bring them out and there would be this initial, very agitated, very bad reaction to them. And then, you know, eventually it would kind of get through and she'd be a little bit more herself for a while. She eventually identified by name several of the demons possessing her, and in the course of it implicated her abusive father and that witchy aunt who were, you know, romantically involved with each other. They were dead at this point. She said that basically they had been so bad that they were damned and became, you know, like one of the demons with her. I don't know. It's a bit, bit getting a bit into the woo-woo zone for me right. with that, but maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Um this, you know, voice from within Anna claimed that their end game was to drive her to hang herself, which I believe is the same thing that Clara said. Actually, yeah, that's that she startling. going to hang herself. Yeah. Um, this could be where we get that trope that finding out the demons names is key to defeating them. Because shortly after that happened, two days before Christmas of 1928, a session that had gone on for, I believe, a week culminated with 
Anna standing in her bed, screaming before collapsing onto it with, quote, an unearthly stench being released into the air around her, right when her screams reached their peak. And after she collapsed, it was like the storm had passed. She spoke normally for the first time in several months, saying, quote, my Jesus mercy, praised be Jesus Christ, and her symptoms and behaviors mostly stopped. And Wikipedia says that she continued to experience, quote, quite manageable possessions sometimes. And I have every question yeah. in the world about this. What the fuck is a quite manageable possession? I, I cannot stress enough how much I need to know more about that. I cannot stress enough how deep the rabbit hole was that I fell down trying to find that out. Quite manageable possessions. And I got nowhere with that. It's like when you get drunk um, and your accent comes out. <laughs> You know what I mean? <laughs> I bet it's like that. <laughs> I love you so much. You will never know how much I adore you. <laughs> it's that. You're right. You you have cracked the case here. Um, so there is some contradiction about which of two people she is in Ancestry's records. Like people have really delved into historical records to figure out who she was because her identity was kept anonymous, but there's enough um, that it has been nailed down to two people in Ancestry. And depending on which it was, she lived to be either 59 or 81, depending on which one was actually her. And, you know, I, I have a theory about it. I personally think it's the 81 year old, but who the fuck knows? That right. Mean? So her story was written up to educate seminary students, but it did end up gaining mainstream attention and being adapted into a movie in 2016, which I don't think was very well reviewed, as well as being part of the basis of The Exorcist, along with the story of Roland Doe, which you covered mm-hmm. back in episode 22. And that is where I will leave you in exorcisms today. We didn't really get into one gone wrong today. We just got into some weird shit and um, some backstory on the concept and the church. So this was I so really good. Yeah, if people like it, I would really love to do my next episode because um, I have like five more that I would like okay. to cover, depending on how meaty they turn out to how be. How about you just I do it because I want it and I don't feel <laughs> okay. good. You know what? That's that is all I need to know. I need I need it. You will have it, babe. You will have it. Yes. So yeah, there you have it. Oh, so good. That was so (laughs) good. I got chills. Good. I definitely meant for that to go more of a, you know, spooky flashlight under your chin direction and less of a catholic education course direction but i think it was you know, still spooky as fuck there for sure. there are a lot of podcasts out there that do that <laughs> um and they are all very good i have found more podcasts in searching for these stories than i normally ever do on anything that i cover these have been pretty extensively covered um so if you want the um things that go bump in the night version more so than what you got here there is tons out there um all very interesting uh but i am a conflicted um, critical, defiant, um, Catholic. <laughs> so you get that through that lens because that is the podcast you were listening to. So, <sighs> ready for disaster relief? I am so ready. All right, you want to go first? Sure. Um, okay. Maybe this is where I got sick. I went to a concert. <laughs> 
Oh my god, I was hoping you were going to talk about that. Yes, I went to go see, um, there was an ad for um, a Sister Hazel Spin Doctors Saved by the 90s concert, and I went, and it was so much fucking fun. Um, Let's normalize going to concerts and stuff like that by yourself. Um, Absolutely. I don't have to worry about anyone. I just had my Miller High Lifes, um, got probably one too many Miller High Lifes, um, got to like talk to the band. There wasn't like a lot of people there, um, which was cool. Like I got to interact with um, members from both of the bands, which is holy shit, really fucking rad. Um, and then, I mean, the show was just, it was great. Everybody was nice. It wasn't crowded. And um, I also learned the hard way um, that my town doesn't really do taxis or Ubers. Really? Yeah. So Cody dropped me off um, and he said, you know, it was a Thursday night and he was like, well, I'll drop you off and then I'll pick you up. And I said, ah, it's a school night. It's a little late. I don't want you keeping the kids up late. You know, yeah. I'll just, yeah. I'll catch an Uber, you know, it's 2022. And um, so I tried to Uber. There's no Ubers like accepting my thing. Um, and at one point I'm just hanging out with cops, you know, um, <laughs> then they try, you know, and I'm a little, I'm not like drunk, drunk, but I'm buzzed, you know, those Miller highlights, they'll sneak up on you. And, um, so they try calling me the taxi. All the taxi places are closed. And now I'm starting to realize why Louisiana has like the highest numbers in DUIs because there's just not a lot of options. Like if you're like in a rural, rural area, area. Um, yeah. so I called my friend Lily and I'm like, you know, someone finally picked it up, but they said it was going to be like 20 minutes. So Lily hung out on the phone with me until my Uber came and, uh, yeah, I sat there. Oh, and another a cop waited for me too, so I wasn't on the bench by myself. So it was just like me, the cop, and then Lily on the phone. And I got home safe and it was wonderful. I had the best Uber driver ever. I am so happy to hear this. You got your ticket problem resolved. I got I my t- Well, it was real funny. Okay, so I ordered um I ordered through Ticketmaster. Um and where this concert is held at is like where my girls like play like little like their basketball like their mini me basketball games so it it was weird to have like these bands in this place in the first place um but my tickets weren't showing up like i had proof that it came out of my um bank account i had email but like i couldn't access any of it and uh this little lady was like girl just come in i don't care (laughs) oh it was awesome it was I was kind of wondering if that was the case, like, if you just went and you were just like, look, I'm like, uh, I don't know what happened. But like, I mean, what a weird con to just show up at that concert of all concerts and be like, no, I swear. I swear. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I, I saw your post in, in our mom group and I don't have any insight into that whatsoever. I don't fucking I know. was in full panic um, mode. I had my Doc Martens yeah. on. I had my flannel. I just wanted <laughs> to, like, listen to some 90s jams. 
So I, yeah, I saw that and I was like, I don't want to comment on that because I don't fucking know, but like, I really hope this pans out for her. <laughs> um, and I was worried, but I, you know, in the back of my mind, I was kind of like, what if she just shows up? Like, surely they'll let her in. <laughs> oh, it was the best night. I had so much fun. I was hurting a little bit the next day, um, but and now I'm <laughs> really hurting because yeah i bet you i picked yeah. it up there oh my kids were I sick last week did. i hope hopefully i didn't spray around the concert i was feeling good yeah well sorry I mean, thibodeau you, you can't control for that <laughs> you can't you just can't know what you might be incubating if you're not even symptomatic yeah what's yours babe that. um mine is just a, a silly little thing i originally when we started doing disaster relief i had the concept that it would be like you know, things that I've bought recently that turned out to be good products or like shows that I've watched or whatever, but I don't have fucking time to watch shows. and <laughs> I don't really buy that many things either. So um, those concepts have not uh, panned out like I thought they would. But I watched a movie the other day. Hardly ever do that. Not that I don't like movies. I just don't have fucking time. Um, but I did watch Black as Night. It is a vampire movie set in New Orleans post Katrina. I mean, like modern times post Katrina. It's like a you know new I mean? movie. That- yeah, it's from like a year ago. Um, but you know, it, it's a vampire movie, but it's about, um, teenagers of color and there are vampires. And, uh, it was actually pretty good. Yeah, it was. It, you know, the vampire stuff itself was not really, not really anything overly exceptional, but I thought that it was, you know, the people they were basing the story around and the setting they were basing the story around was an interesting take on the genre. Oh, and I did check. I recommend it. I need, I yeah, need it's on a Amazon. Good. It's an Amazon, Amazon exclusive, I believe. So oh. I would recommend it. It's perfect for spooky season too. It is perfect for spooky season. So go ahead and get it in before spooky season ends. If spooky season ever ends for you, it doesn't really for me. Um, <laughs> yeah. But you know, if you, if you put an arbitrary limit on such pleasures in life as spooky season, I guess now is your time. So head on over to Amazon, check it out. Black as night. I love it. Um, we do have some Patreons, but before we do that, um, we need to do our Patreon giveaway. I forgot to do it last week. Oh, yes. Um, we've had some things going on. So let me pull that up here. Okay. Let's see. I love that sound. <laughs> you say that every time. I swear you just do this for the sound. <laughs> it's Jamie Kramer. So, Jamie Kramer, um, I've got your address, obviously, um, because you're on Patreon. Um, but if that's changed, please let me know. I will also send you a message. And um, if you don't know, once a month, we do a Patreon March giveaway. Um, we'll do a coffee mug, some stickers, all that stuff, and then send it to you just kind of as like a thank you. And it's completely random. So, I can listen to my do 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 <laughs> um so our patreons for this week are so our patreons this week are abby kosegi k-o-s-e-g-i i believe abby kosegi i love abby i have a daughter named abby um your buddies are going to be leslie stewart and we have laura watley nielsen so 
Nice. Yeah. Go Welcome. donate blood. Go donate food. Go donate a kidney. Kidney. A hula hoop. Awesome. Donate a hula hoop to your local <laughs> exorcist near you. Yes. <laughs> Go to your Catholic church. Ask them if they are well stocked on hula hoops and whatever supplies they may need so they don't have to wait three months to do part three of their exorcism. Exactly. Um, maybe they need some donations. We don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, until then, uh, nope, brain frog again. <laughs> until next time, sweet dreams or no dreams. Sweet dreams or no dreams. Hey, horrible ghouls. Hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you would like to share your personal MarkSafe moment, you can send it to us at MarkSafePodcast at gmail.com. Please give our podcast a rate, review, and subscribe and tell your buddies about us too. That goes a long way. If you want to further elevate your support, check out our MarkSafe Patreon page, where we have shoutouts, goodies, and some bonus content in the works. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks again, and as always, stay safe.